rambling for the new season to Super Hunter Pod. Welcome back. to the 263rd episode of the Internet's Best English Language Argentine Football Podcast. I'm Sam Kelly. I'm back from holiday, and that's why we're back from holiday. Uh, I'm joined this week by Andres Bruckner. Hello, Sam. Welcome back, Andres. Thank you. To the podcast, because you've not been away. Same to you. Welcome to Argentina. Thank you very much. And English Dan. Hello, and welcome Uh, to another fun year of uh, football, I guess. Hopefully it'll be fun. I almost called you Dan Edwards, and I don't know why. Uh, that would um, be something that I would say on this podcast. But never. Here we go. Ever. Um, the Superliga has come into existence. The Primera División has rebranded. That's about all that's happened. But unfortunately, much like when this happened in England, actually, it's not benefiting the national team. Um, so we're going to talk about Argentina. That was me dropping part of my earphone on the table. I apologise. We're going to talk about Argentina first. And then we'll get on to a very brief bit about um, the Primera season so far, which is only one round of matches old. And we also uh, can't remember what happened because it feels like ages ago. Yeah, Sam wasn't even I in the country. I didn't see any of it, and Andres and Dan have both forgotten what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll try to refresh uh, memories, and in my case, learn something about it. Um, I will very quickly apologise if there's more background noise than usual. We're recording uh, an hour or two earlier than we normally do, which means that we're sort of a bit closer into rush hour, so you might just hear a bit more traffic noise. I'm sure you'll put up with it. Um, what we have seen in the World Cup qualification table in the last week uh, is, well, primarily, it's been two very disappointing draws for Argentina. One which was more disappointing, I think, for the sort of manner of it than the result itself. I think a draw away to Uruguay in San Paoli's first match in charge, if, if that had been offered before the game people would have sort of thought if it had been offered in a different context exactly we should probably say yeah the the other was disappointing both for the performance and the result yes Um, thoughts gentlemen on on Uruguay Argentina and Argentina v Venezuela it's hard to know where to start really Uh, I guess with Uruguay would be the the most logical place since it came first Um, it was a game that you say Argentina could have just about got away with not winning if they'd gone on to beat Venezuela, but since they didn't go on to beat Venezuela, it's now it's you know it's another two points lost. It was as I said somewhere or other where I was writing the irresistible force against the immovable object. It was Argentina who had about 70-80% of possession I think all through the game, um, a lot of attacking talent on the field, and just no way or idea how to break down Uruguay, who. I'll give them credit. We're back to being the Uruguay that we all know and respect, possibly more than love, um, for just being absolute bastards to play against. It was essentially a flat back seven from um, Oscar Tavares with um, Cebollo Rodriguez playing a little bit further forward and then uh, Suarez and Cavani pretty much just looking to latch onto whatever scraps they could get on the counter, which they did pretty well. I'd say even Uruguay came closer to winning that game than Argentina. What, what went wrong to Argentina is pretty much what seems to go wrong for them in every game. They get the balance wrong between midfield and attack, have three of the best forwards in the world up front, but they don't seem to get any service, so Messi has to come deep to look for it. Divala sort of did an impression on of one of the flies on Homer Simpson's old... Um, Playboard, if you've ever seen that episode of The Simpsons where he's an American football coach, and Dicardi was watched by the Uruguayan defence so strongly, you'd imagine that they were scared he would nick one of their wives. Uh, it all added up to a pretty... I don't know if it was 
boring. I was quite engrossed in the game, kind of in spite of myself. I don't know what you guys said, kind of like the sheer attrition of it. It wasn't kind of engrossed me, even though there was pretty much no action to speak of at all. Yeah, uh, it was frustrating. Not sort of Uruguay's game plan was fairly predictable. Yes. Given that a draw was going to to suit Uruguay more than it suited Argentina, I mean, it didn't particularly suit either team really. But Uruguay being a point better off at the start of play, um, it, it was always going to suit them slightly better. Um, and they capitalised on it subsequently by beating Paraguay. Apparently that's Uruguay's first ever away win over Paraguay, yeah, which soon, yeah. astonishes me. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, it was sort of... It, Uruguay set out to play the way that Uruguay nearly always set out to play against Argentina. Mm-hmm. That was predictable, and it was sort of disappointing that there didn't seem to be much of a plan to, to pick that apart. No, aside from getting out to the flanks and seeing if Di Maria could put a good cross in, which... Mm. <laughs> the one time I think the one time he actually managed a decent cross in these two games was about thirty seconds before he he came off injured, which is fairly typical of Di Maria as well in international colours. Indeed. What he watched was um, a group of players or a team of, of, of players that, as time went by, they they became desperate uh, in order to try to score at least one goal. He's saying it against Uruguay or Venezuela because that that's definitely what I saw against Venezuela. I don't know if they got yeah. that desperate against. I think that against Uruguay, Uruguay they, they were like like quiet, like they they, they especially in the second half, they they were like uh, they they knew that they there will be that that it will be so difficult, very difficult to to try to break the Uruguayan defense, which is of course very strong, and apart from. Suarez and Cavani trying to catch a fish from a swimming pool, which was trying to get the ball and, and at least go go uh, as far mm-hmm. as they could. Um, and against Venezuela, at least at the first half, there were a couple of good uh, combinations between the Yeah, Marie the first 20, yes. 25 minutes was pretty decent. And you thought, the goal's got to come here because they were just all over them. But you, you sort of felt that, yeah... If Venezuela could get through that first half hour without conceding, it was only going to get more difficult. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. Argentina started to get reckless. They started to lose their shape. There were all sorts of weird things going along. You saw Federico Facio, who was playing as a sweeper, tried to dribble half the pitch, lose it. And then it was Lautaro Acosta, who was essentially playing on the right side of attack, who had to run back and... And foul the the advancing Venezuelan player and get himself a yellow card. It was all like just all over the place, and I'm I'm sure Sam Pauli, who's you know everyone sort of for some reason has an idea that a Bielcista is just a kind of an anarchic person, but it's actually the reverse. Everything's very calculated, very um, mapped out. So he must have been absolutely fuming to see his team just run around like headless chickens for the last hour. Indeed. What what do we make of the back three? Because it was used in both matches. Uh, Gabriel Mercado, um, the right-hand side, of the central three, if that makes sense, uh, was replaced by Javier Mascherano um, for the Uruguay game because he got suspended. Sorry, for the Venezuela game because he got suspended against Uruguay, picked up a booking. Um, and that sort of changed the dynamic slightly because obviously Mercado's a bit more used to playing as a full-back and so was, was getting a little further up. Well, to be um, honest, against Venezuela, they didn't play with a back three. They played with a back one. Fasio at the back right. and Machi and, and Otamendi were in midfield. Mm. They were like they were further up. There, yeah, it was a one-two-four-three essentially. Which meant that losing the ball like the, was like Banega, a problem. Yeah, uh, meant yes. Oh, Banega. I feel like I'm one of Banega's biggest defenders at times, but Venezuela, he wasn't. He. He wasn't at his best, to put it mildly. He was a very frustrating figure. Then there is the obvious thing, which is that if you score 16 goals in 16 matches and mm. uh, you are almost four goals, that four matches in, in which Argentina doesn't score a goal because, they, 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 like you said before we started recording, the, the, well, the goal against Venezuela was scored by Felcher, the, the, the defender, the Swiss, Swiss defender that decided to play for Venezuela. And uh, uh, that means that yes, that that's a simple fact. But also, uh, 
talks uh, talks about the it 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 means a lot about the moment Argentina is, is passing through. It's over four games in open play, in fact, yes. because the only goal that they've scored that an Argentine has scored for Argentina in that time was Messi's penalty against Chile. Yes. Did um, they not score against Bolivia? No. I seem to remember a goal. Not? I, I checked. I can't remember who they played in those games, but since Angel Di Maria got the third against Colombia, yeah, they uh, the only goals that they've scored have been Messi's penalty against Chile and the uh, and Felcher's own goal. I thought I remembered a goal against Bolivia. Anyway, one of the questions I found interesting um, in this kind of post-match, post-mortem, which always happens when Argentina are below expectations, amongst all of the usual, you know, uh, San Paoli's already a spent force, you know, after two matches, which has come from some of the more hysterical people in the press. I think one of the questions that that kind of got my attention is, are Argentina really, you know, are they really underachieving? Or are they now just a quite average international team who happen to have the best player in the world? And if we, if they decide that they are actually fairly average and would be below the likes of Uruguay, Colombia, Chile, obviously Brazil, on merit, if it wasn't for Messi, then, then that kind of changes the whole outlook, right? It would, indeed. Um, they have the attacking names, mm. if not performances from what we've just seen from um, Mr. Riccardi and particularly I think Mr. Dybala um, who disappointed me over the course of the whole of, of the two games um, more of the two of them um, but yeah it, it's I think as much as anything the problems with midfield rather than the attack mm. and, and the defence you know, of course. The defence isn't great but when you're dominating possession as much as, as Argentina do um the defence is sort of almost... It's not exactly secondary, obviously, as, as Venezuela very finely demonstrated with, with a wonderfully taking counter-attacking goal um, on Tuesday night. But it's not what a team with Argentina's sort of talent to call on ought to be worrying about. And yet the midfield doesn't seem balanced enough at all. No. I mean, we talked before, before San Paoli came in and then, you know, before he'd, he'd been confirmed but when it was known that he was going to be the coach... And then again, once he had been confirmed, about how if uh, Javier Mascherano continues to play for Argentina, um, which doesn't seem a given at the moment, um, that, that he's going to do so in defence rather than midfield because San Paoli wants more passers in midfield. And yet Guido Pizarro <laughs> suddenly is, is a fixture in, in midfield. And I mean, Pizarro is a player I like. He, he's very able at what he does, but he's essentially, you know, he, he's not too dissimilar to a copy of Mascherano. Um, he passes the ball sideways or backwards. He breaks up the play superbly, but he doesn't do what Argentina are really sort of screaming out for, which is get beyond the midfield line and, and give a bit more verticality to the midfield. No, and Bilio also, who mm. I think he had fitness problems for this last game against Venezuela, so he didn't take part. But against Uruguay, it was Pizarro and, and Bilio in the middle. Perhaps Paredes um, will have been a good option. Perhaps, yeah, but it's another guy, you know. You can throw these names out, ah, perhaps Paredes, perhaps Banega, perhaps Pastore, you know, Banega and Pastore had the chance on, on Tuesday and they were both atrocious in, mm. in my opinion. Uh, Lautaro Acosta as well, like, just ran up blind alleys for, for most of the game. But the, the problem so there is... These guys aren't the answer, like, how many, how many players do you have to keep rotating to find out until you, you actually stumble on it? Like, obviously, Marcos Acuna is, is the guy, we all know this. He was a bit unlucky, actually, you know, playing on the, on the left, right. He's the guy. On the left, yeah. On the right, he, oh, I felt so sorry for him. He just looked little boy lost against, you know, Martin Suarez with Mercado. He had Mercado backing him up, so he didn't have too many defensive problems. But, but it wasn't his night, that's for sure. Mm. But I think, yeah, if you've got nothing coming from the middle, no invention, all you can do is... Pretty much what Argentina did for the vast majority of these last two matches. Spray it out wide uh, when you know you've got the opposition who are just going to crowd out the middle, cross and cross and cross and cross and see if one of them can can make an impact. But you're talking, what would it Argentina have, have sent in? Probably 50 crosses over the two games and probably three of them actually had danger. There was one that Flashes Pasticari, the goal obviously, which was Felcher's own goal, and, and not much more. It was 
And so I that's think not a very encouraging strike rate. There's something obvious, I think, that uh, that Zamboli was uh, hired because of the work he has done for Chile, which we watched them play, against, especially against Argentina, with mm -hmm. a, a, a different way that Chile used to play, which mm -hmm. a lot of passes, like Sam said, with dynamics, <coughs> uh, with mo players moving from their fixed positions and, and, and appearing surprisingly in, in another uh, uh, side of the, of, the, of, the, of the pitch. And in this case, Argentina was, the other side was, uh, I, I think, very quiet team against Uruguay, especially in the second half, and uh, against Venezuela, a, a team that, as, as the time uh, was ticking, uh, didn't know how to, how to score a single goal. And, and without that mobility, I think. No, uh, it's that, true. It's like trying to make uh, Guardiola play, make Argentina play like Barcelona because he mm -hmm. made Barcelona play in a way we watched it was incredible. Uh, yeah, the other thing you have to take into account looking back at Chile is that, you know, not to take anything away from Chile in, in their runs to the Copa America, to the, um, to the World Cup uh, in 2014 when they played really nice football, but... Teams play differently against Argentina than they do against Chile, even if it's just for the name. Uh, a team, when you see Messi, um, Dybala, Di Maria, Icario, Agüero, Higuaín, all these kind of guys, they're going to push everyone back. They're never going to attack with more than two or three players. Whereas against Chile, you do. You like Almost by default, you play a, a more open game. And that obviously worked to Sampaoli's favour a lot uh, with Chile. But there's also the, the sort of thing that Sampaoli's Chile were much less predictable because of what we've just been talking about. Yeah, I mean, they had Arturo Vidal, yeah, who is where, the player that which Argentina just, need. Which is just what I was thinking, and I, I was sort of, uh, I hadn't really thought about it in these terms until we started to articulate it just now. Um, but, you know, Vidal is, still is now. Uh, possibly not for much longer the way he's been going on on social media but for the moment um, is, is Chile's midfield general you know? he's Chile basically um, yeah. and when when you say midfield general and you, you say Argentina you know it, it's very easy to think of sort of Mascherano being, mm. being the classic example but they're always or nearly always defensive players they're not mm -hmm. players who are going to grab the rest of the team by the scruff of the neck and force the whole midfield to be much more mobile no. um, much better as Vidal has even managed to do while well, Chile themselves have been playing pretty poorly at times in, in this qualification um, uh, competition I was going to say tournament I apologise for struggling with my words um, and so you know who are there any Argentines whether they're currently in the squad or not that we can think of who, who actually could sort of fit that that role it's a tough one I mean Talent-wise, you can point to a couple of players, possibly Paredes, if he plays a little bit more advanced. Um, eh, Joaquin Correa um, in Sevilla, possibly when he's, when he's fit, Lamela, Pastore, if he ever sorts himself out. But the case with Vidal goes a little bit beyond just pure talent. It's possibly the attitude sweet. he's got, too. Exactly, yeah. Because he's a guy, you know, can think whatever. Like To me, uh, Vidal is a bit of a prick to be honest yeah. when you hear him talk and off, field, and off the field but he's the kind of player you know as everyone used to say about Maradona he's the kind of player you want on your team because they're so driven so such nasty little fuckers that, that they basically just don't leave you much option but, but to win and with that they bring the whole team along, along with them and that's really what Argentina need in, in the field I don't know where he's going to come from where you're going to find uh, a talented dick like Vidal but, but they've got to start looking because I think as long as they don't have that driving force in midfield yeah, they're going to find it tough even if they get through to the World Cup I'm not going to get my hopes up hmm. once they're there particularly Indeed, Andres, any ideas? Yes, I, I think that we we all uh, we all here in Argentina are, are expecting or waiting for, for the matches uh, to be finished to say, ah, uh, yes, there is a player, uh, there is a problem with the players that, uh, with, the, the, with the squad, with the collapse. There is, a, there, well, the, the, the problem is that there aren't any players like you are describing, like, for example, Vidal in Argentina, there isn't anyone like him. It, it's not that, well, there, there are younger, young 
kids or, or, or players that perhaps in the future, no, mm -hmm. they, are, they aren't any. And, and, and that is serious. That is a problem that Argentina is not the provider of players that used to be perhaps in the past. Mm. Uh, now it's uh, more in has to be with the media of players mm. that are uh, average and, and they are not perhaps in a way to put it in a way that they are and, and this has been said a lot uh, that are uh, very very good in their teams but when they come to Argentina uh, they get blocked and they, they, they can't uh, do all the things that they do in their, in their teams. Like, for example, well, it's only three matches from Dybala, but I I, I watched him play uh, with the ball bouncing from his feet and, and not uh, uh, being so incisive like he's at, at Juventus, for example. Uh, and that is because he's not the, the main player of the team like he's at Juventus. Mm. Would it make sense, given Dybala's difficulties as well, to maybe think about bringing Higuain back into the team? Because, I mean... They play together at club level. They dovetail nicely. Iguain, whatever else we say about him, and I know that there are lots of our listeners who feel that he should never be allowed anywhere near Argentina <laughs> again, never mind the national team. Um, but he's got a very, very good scoring record in the qualifiers, and indeed for the national team full stop. You know, there were people the other night crying out for, a, for Aguero to be brought off the bench um, when Argentina's second or third substitution was made, I can't remember who it was, but every, you know, people, there were people going, "No, no, it's Aguero. Aguero has to come on instead of Benedetto." I think it was. Um, Benedetto was pretty awful. To Benedetto be was terrible. Um, but you know, th th this is something that it would have been difficult to imagine hmm. people making, you know, shouting out for Aguero or Iguain, um just a few months ago. But is there not, particularly when you're in this much of a rut and you just need to get the points to qualify above everything else right now in these next two games, why not go with the known quantity just for these last two matches, even if you don't have any intention of playing with them afterwards? Yeah, I'd, I'd be very surprised if um, if Iwain isn't back yeah, for the next squad, which is against per Peru and Ecuador. Ecuador. I'd be very surprised. More than anything, because as... There's two games and and one of them's at altitude. I'm, I imagine the squad's going to be quite um, quite extensive. Mm. Um, he pro he should play a part, I reckon, because against Peru it's going to be a different game as well. I mean, you had two games now with the opposition very uh, very withdrawn, very pushed back. But I can't see Peru doing the same thing because essentially I don't think they can. I think Peru need to attack and they need to uh, attack fast. And they don't have any pressure on them. I mean, I know that. Now they've reached a point where qualification is in their own hands. They're fourth in the table, um, but they're still going to be playing it. I think as if as oh, if totally, not that much yeah. pressure compared with Chile, Argentina, Uruguay. Um, well, you say that, but they haven't. And they haven't they gone to a up. World Cup since 1982, and this is the closest well, they've been since then. So yeah. there's going to be a lot of pressure. on True, them. yeah, but I mean, in a way, that's that's also what takes the pressure off. In, you know, mm. um, and the, when they open up, they play some really nice football as well. I think it, yeah. if, if Argentina can can get their shit together in time it could turn out to be a really entertaining match though. yes it should be more open at least than the two matches we just had should be that would suit Argentina but it would also suit Peru with the the Argentine defence not looking particularly um, strong at the moment but there's you know there's no reason to kind of to panic right now for Argentina it's still in their own hands Um there's not going to be easy games in October, and and San Paoli's got to kind of get his ideas over fairly fucking quickly. But but it's doable. It's doable. They just have to play a lot better than they did now. Indeed, they do. Uh, we have had a f only very few questions this week because I quite deliberately actually left it late. I, we, we don't want to be recording for ages and ages, so I, I didn't ask for questions until just when we started recording. Uh, but the couple or a couple that we have had um, are regarding the national team so we may as well do them now uh, Six Seasons and a Movie uh, asks is it time to bring back Bowser to which I think we can definitely not quite no. confidently say the answer is no in any case he's pretty much because of Bowser that we're in this predicament and so. if the AFA wanted to they wouldn't be able to employ him uh, to afford him now because he's at um, United Arab Emirates isn't it? I thought they were still paying his wages <laughs> They better not be because he's, he's got another <laughs> job, so they shouldn't be. I mean, if they are, they're proper mugs. Um, well, um, <laughs> yeah. Baba Gold says, uh, What do you think Sampaoli can produce from this generation? 
I think we've sort of started to answer that one already, haven't we? Yeah, um, it depends what generation he's talking about. If it's the generation that is now just on its last legs, the generation of um, the 2007 World Cup, they could still have a last hurrah, Messi, Aguero, Di Maria. Just before anybody gets really guys. confused by what Dan just said, it means the 2007 Youth World Cup. Not Of course. Yeah. If we're talking about the next generation, which is just starting to tentatively um, pop out of the pop out of the womb with, with San Paoli, there's talent there. There's definitely talent. Um, we'll have to see now, obviously, these last two games... There's not that much scope, I think, for for introducing new talent, but definitely in or uh, or after the the World Cup itself, uh, I think um, kind of a more general renewal of the team will take place. Mm. For sure. I mean, apart from anything else, after this World Cup, they're going to have to start planning for the next World Cup without Lionel Messi. One would assume. What will he be? He'll be 35, or he'll turn 35 during the 2022 World Cup. Um, Don't think he'll be there at 35? I mean, if he is, he's going to be a less central figure to the team and playing a very different role to the role that he would be playing now if they had a clue what to do with him. Uh, <laughs> Perhaps once he's old and like, kind of loses that last bit of pace, though, we'll finally work out how to play with him. Mm. That'll be good. Well, perhaps he'll start playing like the playmaker that that the rest of his teammates already appear to think he's is yeah and he could um, actually do that role and have someone playing as a forward as well mm. so we'd in effect have two messes absolutely that would be amazing indeed uh, Babangal also asks what should be the plan against Peru it has to be score lots of goals basically I mean important though it is to get the points it would I think be slightly foolhardy to sort of tear up what the plan has been so far because the, there were a couple of things in the Venezuela match that you could perhaps have seen as sort of the, the, the first green shoots coming through of what San Paolo was mm. trying to do. There were a few flashes where, you know, Messi played a one-two with Dybala and, and got into space and had a shot or, mm. or there was a nice pass in behind the defence for Di Maria at one point um, just before Di Maria got injured to put in, as, as Dan said, the only decent cross that Di Maria managed um, and so on. And I guess, you know, the best bet has to be assuming that with another four or five days training together correcting what's gone wrong in these matches um, that, that that's the route to go because there is a reason that they've appointed him I, I think that uh, Sabali won't do this because it will mean to betray himself or at least the way he wants Argentina to play but given the, the lack of goals I will introduce a more classical formation not a free man or, or single man like he says Single man defending because he goes Fazio in the in the in the back and then Otamendi and, and Mascherano almost uh, midfielders uh, and we we watched what happened in the second half uh, perhaps a four uh, men defend, defending uh, with the traditional uh, formation and trying the the the, the left, right and left backs to go by surprise to the to the normal perhaps trying to play the normal way and mm. and. And perhaps a three-one-two mm. midfielder. I was honestly surprised not to see um, Taliafigo in the squad, and more more surprised to see Bustos included ahead of him. Another mm. independent guy. I don't know Bustos if that was because it was, of was injury. Was on the bench, or... but he was called, called up. And yeah, but why Bustos over Taliafigo when Taliafigo is clearly the the best left back in? I think Primera. he was on the way of being transferred, and perhaps he. Possibly. He Possibly. didn't want to, to call him up because he, he, he with his head, same way as Salarius. Uh, yeah, maybe. But if you have Talia Figo, it gives you, you know, you can play a back four because then you have people actually going forward from, from the fence. If you have Talia Figo and Mercado out wide, that does give you the option. If not, then it's not. I don't think San Paoli would, would be tempted to play a back four. Indeed. Um, the rundown of positions for the the um, qualifying uh, the Commonwealth World Cup qualifiers um, as we bring this section to an end is that Brazil have 37 points this is obviously with two games still to go Brazil have 37 points they've qualified they've also already won the group if they win their last two games they beat Marcelo Bielsa's qualifying record in really? 2002 I believe that team got 42 points 
they can get up to 43. Which, when you consider how they started, uh, is is quite something. They yes. in fact they're, they're nil one one draw away to Colombia on Tuesday evening afternoon. Um, was the first competitive match in which Brazil have failed to win since TT took over. Nine wins, one draw. Year ago, yeah. Um, so Brazil top with 37 points, Uruguay second with 27 points, Colombia have 26, Peru have 24, Argentina have 24. Those two teams are only separated on goals scored. Um, Chile have 23, Paraguay have 21, Ecuador have 20. So this is what we mean when we say that it's a tight group. Um, Ecuador, who are in eighth, could still mathematically finish in third um, leapfrog in Colombia on goal difference uh, Bolivia and Venezuela are the only two teams who can't go to Russia from South America um, they have 13 and 8 points respect well actually in fact uh, Suriname and um, Guiana Guiana obviously can't either but from Conmebol Bolivia and Venezuela are the only two teams who are and you'd say that Uruguay are in now right not mathematically but They'd have to do very well to, Almost to lose it. Yeah. Considering that there's Argentina, Peru, both teams can't take maximum points from the there. The remaining fixtures for everyone are Colombia v Paraguay, Argentina v Peru, Chile v Ecuador, Bolivia v Brazil, and Venezuela versus Uruguay. Those are on the 5th of October. And then the final fixtures are Peru versus Colombia, Brazil versus Chile, Ecuador versus Argentina, Paraguay versus Venezuela, and Uruguay at home to Bolivia. So, yes, I would say Bolivia have qualified. Uh, well, Uruguay. Uruguay have qualified, sorry, um, on Tuesday the 10th of October. Um, we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we will talk about the new, exciting, higher quality than ever, richer than ever, um, definitely in no way basically the same as last season, Superliga. is back but it's not called that anymore or it, well it is but it's also called the Superliga um, or Super League for those of you who don't speak Spanish uh, it has 28 teams not 30 because as you'll recall two teams were promoted at the end of last season to the Primera and four were relegated because we're shrinking it back down or well we're not shrinking it back down but um, the AFA have listened to our requests and decided to shrink it back down to probably eventually 20 teams um, yeah, 20 or 22, right? Yeah, they keep threatening 22, but I think it'll get back to 20. I'm mm. sure it will. 22, we'll if they want to play everybody home in a way, that's 44 rounds of matches, which for a top 42. flight sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Really? Yeah, because you can't play yourself. No, true. So, uh, of course, yeah. Yeah, I remember when the Premier League used to anyway. be 22 teams. It yeah, was the first couple of seasons. Sort of manageable, I guess. So. But anyway... Um, they're shrinking it back down, so it's only 28 teams. There's no double round of Clásicos, which is wonderful uh, in a way, although it's still not a proper league-type championship because everybody only plays everybody else once, but you know that's something that Argentina's been doing for 25 years now, so why stop now? But, um, but as, as we have already uh, said, uh, there are matches that are played at 11 in the morning, which is good for perhaps the people that go to the stadiums, but uh, for the ones that wants to watch all the matches, is well, I think is that uh, in the previous tournament we complained that there were a lot of, of simultaneous matches and was not it was impossible to watch everyone, but every match. But in this case, to be at eleven, then you had to watch eleven a.m., four 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 p.m., six p.m., eight p.m., and it's of course also very difficult. Well, it's all academic, right? Because I'm guessing in a month or so, when the temperature starts to rise, they're going to take away the eleven game. Yeah, one would think so. Uh, the Players' Union have... Uh, we've seen several demonstrations this year of how powerful the Players' Union mm-hmm. remain in Argentina, one of which, uh, in fact, is that although we're, we're coming into this um, really late in the season, getting back to Hadley Pop, we've only missed one round of games because the season got delayed by a week because of unpaid wages and stuff. Of course as, it is. As, yeah. as traditional in Argentina. As we're getting used to, um, to happen. Newell's old boys have um, a potential 
points deduction hanging over their heads because they apparently falsified papers claiming that they'd paid all, the, all of the debt that they owed to their players and former players. Um, so they might be in for, for some trouble uh, later on, although I think that they have now paid everything off. Um, but when they initially submitted the papers saying that they had, they actually hadn't. Um, the results from the first round of matches, if we can think back, is almost two weeks ago now. Um, but I'm going to go through them partly because I just haven't really paid any attention whatsoever myself. So these two are going to sort of talk me through how it how it went, if they can remember. Um, were Tigre nil, Vélez Sarsfield three, Banfield two, Belgrano one. That was the only game that I did see part of. I caught about the last 20 minutes of the first half. Um, Defensive Justicia four, Gimnasia four. That, that was a cracking match. Looks like it would have been fun. Uh, Colón one, Rosario Central one. Tacheres 5, Lanús 2, which means that Tacheres are the league leaders at the moment on on goal difference after one match, so it doesn't mean much, but still. Independiente 3, Huracán 1, San Martín de San Juan 2, Patronato 0, Atlético Tucumán 2, Godoy Cruz 1, San Lorenzo 1, Racing 1, Boca Juniors 3, Olimpo 0, Tempele 0, River Plate 1, Newell's Old Boys 1, Unión 1, and the Estudiantes 2, Arsenal de Sarandí 1. If you've been counting, mm. you'll notice that's only 26 teams and they were all in the Primera last season. That's because Argentinos Juniors and Chacarita Juniors um, in what will be one of three Clásicos Juniorsense this season, because of course they both have to play Boca, um, were drawn against each other in this opening round or, or were put against each other in this opening round. And because these, this first round only took place about two weeks after the Nacional Bay mm. season ended they were allowed to postpone that game, so we don't know quite when it will be played just yet. That was also the, the uh, intention. The, for example, River played against Instituto uh, three weeks ago, no? and uh, Instituto wanted to postpone that match because of this. Uh, that oh, they the, were the Copa, Copa Argentina. Copa Argentina, I mean, yes. Uh, and they wanted to, to play it later because of this. Of the uh, uh, little time they had to, to well, sign mm. players and, mm. and, and make them... Uh, available to play and that and what and also so that players can take holiday right I mean yes a very long season has just ended in the Bay Nacional because yes. that is a team with a, a division with 22 teams or something isn't it that's why you woke up yeah I don't know what the the union stipulations are for that I don't think it's as rigid as it is for summer in summer they do need oh, yeah, two I'm or sure, three weeks I mean, in still, winter it I just makes sense from a physical point of view doesn't yeah. it surely to, to give them a, at least a week off yeah but thinking about it most of, the, most of the Primera clubs didn't have any break at all really I mean mm. Racing their last game was in the Sudamericana I think they played the first leg at, in the middle of June because I was on holiday and then they played the second leg in the middle of July start of July so I don't think they would have even ended training, right? But there's time for Between a few days of downtime. A couple of days, yeah, a couple of days, but not much. So, yeah, not much of a of a winter break for, for the Primera clubs, this, especially this those is, in South American competition. This is precisely why the change back to a, a calendar year, long season, as will probably happen in 2019, um, is going to make more sense, because then you have the summer break yes. at the end of the year. It'll be a couple of months off. Um, yeah, considering the Libertadores and Sudamericana are all year-long yes, uh, well. competitions, they've, they've got to do it really. Indeed, I'm not um, sure. I thought the reason, you know, one of the ideas behind it was to go back to the European calendar, but obviously this is another case well, of the AFA not knowing its ass from in, initially from it was, a and then of course Conmebol did this change yeah. to the Copas, and therefore it made sense to change back to the the, the, the calendar year thing, uh, having initially done the change back to Europe, mm-hmm. not knowing that that was about to happen. <laughs> Um, because, I don't know, nobody talks to each other about plans for the future in Conmebol or something like that. No, we've seen that with, um, with Paraguay, right? <laughs> That's got to be the funniest thing I've seen in football for a while. Paraguay just trying to hijack this, <laughs> this Argentina-Uruguay World Cup bid. Have they been allowed to in the end? Argentina and Uruguay say they still haven't had any formal communication with them saying Paraguay are into it. Oh, but right. in the meantime, Paraguay the other day... Um, well, Conmebol or, or someone the didn't actually say yeah. who is Paraguayan. Uh, yeah. And they came out with a video basically saying, and it was all basically with a Paraguayan narrator going through, ah, oh, yeah, this is South America's time, it's all going to be great. And then, like, people from Argentina, Uruguay, are like, all right, so, so you're in charge now, are you? 
absolutely fantastic. It's, it's particularly bizarre because I mean, Argentina Uruguay has been talked about for at least ten years. That there's been sort of mm. suggestions that yes. this might be in the offing. Well, um, I did consult with um, with my go-to man in Paraguay, who is obviously Ralph Hanner, and he says, strangely enough, it's all politics. Uh, Cartes, the um, the Paraguayan president, and I think he was also. The Libertad president in another life, possibly. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, is up for election next year. He's worked out that holding a World Cup is really popular, at least until the bill arrives. Yes. Uh, and like therefore, a, why not pretend an to opinion. be one for a year? Well, it's kind of the best <laughs> of both worlds, right? Yeah, it's like you have all the the support of trying to host the World Cup with none of the cost of actually hosting it. So it could work out really well. Ideal. Yeah. Um, so, going back anyway to the first round of, of pre-matter action, uh, can either of you remember any particularly impressive performances, any particularly dreadful performances? It's fine to say yes. no, but I'm just wondering. I watched, uh, for example, uh, one of the matches I watched almost the entire match was uh, the, the first match of the league, of the Superliga, which was mm-hmm. uh, a lot of ex- expectation because of, oh, how, how the Superliga will be and the first very first match. and that, and, and the presentation of it yes, and everything, yeah. Which, well, the, the broadcasting was the the, the TV, the, the the image was not very good, was very very bad. Indeed, a lot of play of people complaining about the, especially if you watched it in in the single simple definition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, meaning that you don't you won't, you you didn't pay the 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 main the the monthly. Uh, Membership and what well, uh, in the simple definition it was very poor quality, but uh, in regarding football, I watched play brilliantly Vargas from Vélez, the, the little man, monkey Vargas, Monito Vargas, uh, and it was impressive. It was a very very good performance, uh, at least for me, and uh, he has been uh, wo- uh, demonstrating something. But in this match, I I think it was. Uh, Clearly, man of the match. He made him. He made Andrada, the former River play uh, River striker, score a goal. So that means he's very good. Indeed. Um, yeah. What did I watch? I, I was happy because I'm assuming that you watched Racing against San Lorenzo. Yeah, that was all right. I guess um, I was happy because the two best strikers in the league, in Polita Rodriguez of Atlético Tucumán and Lisandro Lopez, both scored which was always good to see. Uh, the draw against San Lorenzo, it was a funny one. It's like it's two teams that are still sort of in transition after the winter break. Um, according, to, um, according to our friend Mariano, San Lorenzo are now the worst team ever to step foot on a football pitch, and it's all Aguirre's fault, the coach. But they weren't actually that bad. Racing did what they tend to do when they go ahead, which is pull everyone back and just kind of wait out the game it didn't come off and and it ended in a draw uh, but you know drawing away to San Lorenzo is not that bad a way to to start the the season and then on Saturday we'll see how it carries on as I'm going back to Avicenia for the first time in months to watch Racing temporarily so we're very happy about that I think that unless San Lorenzo wins the, the Copa Libertadores Aguirre won't won't go on in San Lorenzo no pressure then not at all. The Copa Libertadores is, of course, getting underway again soon, yes. and we shall. Yeah, when is it? Um, I think it's very. I think, it, I think it might be next week, but we'll. Yes, uh, we'll on Wednesday it in a there is San Lorenzo against Lanús, and then Thursday River against Wilstermann. Lovely, right? So what's yeah. happened? Uh, we might as well get onto it now, in fact. But first of all, actually, I know, just uh, regarding what Andres was mentioning about the standard definition and um, packages and whatnot for television, there'll be a few people who are wondering. We always seem to get questions about the broadcasting situation in Argentina even for people who don't live in Argentina which is a bit peculiar but you know, let's sake your curiosity anyway um, the uh, situation as I understand it of course having not been here when the season kicked off um, is that we're all going to have to pay on top of our current cable or satellite packages at the moment an extra 300 pesos a month um, from October from October exactly because until the last day of September um, we can watch matches for in inverted commas, free included in what we're already paying for our subscription packages. So that will um, be up to in standard week. Yes. 
four rounds. Two, three, yeah. four, haven't we? Yeah, so. Um, so the, four, the first four rounds through. And that's that's in SD. If you, you can pay it now if you want to see it in HD. So. And apparently some of the games go out on Freeview as well. Uh, Do they? They are. On okay. a channel called Arpeggio. Oh, which is a, a workaround that a couple of people um, stumbled upon. Fascinating. I wonder yeah. whether I've got that on DirecTV. More to the point, I wonder whether I've got it on DirecTV in HD. Because... Um, <laughs> No, actually, I don't know. I don't think it goes out. Oh, in that case, I don't care. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's the situation at the moment. We should mention, by the way, for our, our British listeners, that there are going to be two matches per week, uh, I think from now, from now. right, from yeah. this weekend, because they launched on the 1st of September, mm-hmm. um, by this new channel who are uh, piggybacking on Now TV Signal or something. Yeah. I can't report them. Free Sport. Free Sport, thank you. That's exactly what it says in the tin. Uh, it's something like Channel 52 or somewhere around there on BT Sport and Now TV and, and it's on Virgin and, and the other providers. Um, Freeview so, as well, I think. And Freeview, yes. So have a look for those. Um, we don't know which matches there are going to be. You'll River and Bokra, I assume. We would assume it's going to be the River and Bokra. No one's going to watch it. Well, or they think no one's going to watch it. I suspect yeah. no one's going to watch it anyway, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have a fairly good idea of just how much interest there is uh, in the UK from Argentine football and um, the answer is not very much we'd assume all of them that are interested in Argentine football should be following the pod precisely which, which is, is why I say we know it's not very many people yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to sponsor us however do get in touch we've got yes. plenty of listeners lots and lots of them um, and now yeah the Copa Libertadores and the Copa Sudamericana um, those are getting underway well they're, they're back underway in fact as Dan mentioned the Sudamericana in particular never really ended um, mm. We'll do the Copa Libertadores first, purely because there are <coughs> fewer games to go in it, because it's already at a later stage. Um, just as long as my browser loads the page, please, come on, load. Uh, River Plate got past uh, Jorge Wilstermann. No, they didn't, that's bollocks, they're playing Jorge Wilstermann, I'm misremembering uh, it. Warani, was it? Warani, thank you. Yeah. Um, oh, come on, please load. Why does my internet go slow at this point? Here we go. Right, the scores uh, from the previous round, which was played in July and very early August. Um, Godoy Cruz were eliminated by Gremio, 1-0 in Mendoza and 2-1 in Porto Alegre for a 3-1 aggregate win for the Brazilians. River beat Guarani 2-0 in Asuncion and then drew 1-1 in Buenos Aires. I mean, uh, they go through. Um, Atletico Paranaense against Santos from the little that I managed to catch, but I did manage to see one or two snatches of streams mm-hmm. in this uh, I think was the tie of the round that, the first leg of that finished 3-2 for an away win for Santos and then the return was 4-3 or something wasn't it it was, um, oh, it was 1-0 sorry so it was it was 4-2 on aggregate that was where I was getting that from um, Barcelona of Ecuador against Palmeiras of Brazil uh, I think Barcelona won that one they got the first leg 1-0 and the second leg they lost, lost 1-0 before winning 5-4 on penalties that was a big giant game the biggest giant killing of the lot, however, was Jorge Wilstermann of Bolivia, who put out Atletico Mineiro with a 1-0 win in Cochabamba in the first leg, followed up by a 0-0 draw in Belo Horizonte. Um, so Wilstermann are playing River in the quarters. The strongest uh, went out to Lanús. Lanús, actually, I thought, played. this was played before I... The first leg was, was played before I went away. Um, and Lanús did really, really well in La Paz. Yeah, they, they were very yeah. unlucky. They got pegged back by a like, 92nd minute equaliser, um, until which point they were on course for a win. Um, they followed that up in the second leg with a. Where is it? 1 0 win, I think. Yeah, it's not showing up. Yes, up, for some up the top. 1 0. Yeah. Of course, yeah, because it was the last one of the last ties to play the first leg. The first one to play the second leg. Um, yeah, so they got a 2-1 win on aggregate. San Lorenzo beat Emelec 1-0 in Quito, in uh, Guayaquil, sorry, and uh, lost 1-0 here and went for penalties. And Botafogo put out Nacional of Uruguay 1-0 in Montevideo. And where's the second leg there? 2-0. Oh, and 2-0 in, in Rio. In Botafogo. Um, or, or Rio, as Dan says. Which means that the quarterfinals... And now we have to hope it loads a bit more quickly than the last page. It is doing good. Ah, San Lorenzo versus Lanús. First leg, as Andres says, is next Wednesday. Uh, Barcelona versus Santos, also next Wednesday. 
Botafogo against Gremio, also next Wednesday. So three on Wednesday and one on Thursday. This is why the Libertadores struggles for television money compared with the Champions League. Um, and then Jorge Wilstermann against Riva Plate in Cochabamba on Thursday night. Um, three Argentine sides, three Brazilian sides. Which of those two countries is most likely to provide a winner? Gentlemen? You'd say River wouldn't be too upset with that draw, right? You reckon? I think. And the thing I I keep going back to what I was saying before my winter holiday, um, which was that River arguably the favourites for the Copa Libertadores as long as they kept hold of Sebastián Driussi and Lucas Alario, or at least one of them, and they've lost both of them in the transfer window. So I think it's going to very much depend on how quickly they can adapt to anyway. There is a strange revamping the strike force. Strange yeah, but solely on the draw, you'd say out of all the teams there. Like Wilstermann is the one you wanna is the one you wanna make. They know that uh, uh, if they pass Wilstermann, there will be an Argentinian side uh, in semi-finals because mm. it's or, or San Lorenzo, either um, San Lorenzo or Lanús, which are perhaps more difficult sides than I don't know uh, someone from Ecuador or from from Colombia. Uh, and uh, of mm. course, that the advantage is that you, they don't have to travel because it's here. But uh, uh, yes, and and. Uh, around that area, there is a strange situation, which is that uh, just when the when the transfer window was about to to to, to come to an end in Argentina, Alario made uh, this release clause, executed the release clause, uh, and uh, he went to play for Bayer Leverkusen in Germany. But there was there is a problem that River doesn't want to to accept this the, the transfer because. The, the, the season in Argentina has had already uh, started. Um, so they basically got the money for him now, yes. but they won't release his registration. And, and they say that there is an article in the FIFA rules that say that uh, even when there uh, when there is this release clause paying, yeah. uh, they can't do it or they can't uh, uh, sign a player from a team whose season has already started. Uh, and that... That is the case here in Argentina. Sounds like it's probably bollocks. Yes. But there is an article, article from the FIFA that says this, and River says this, that they are, uh, they they have these rules in favor of them, and and that's why they won't. Not it's not that they didn't. They won't uh, send the transfer uh, to make Alario available to play for Bayer Leverkusen, which is silly because the money has already been transferred to them. Yeah. Um, accounts obviously not going to be coming back to play for River. For no, I, I think that's so now it would be cutting their nose off to spite their face. I exactly. think if they carry on with this um, with yeah. this posture, precisely. Very bizarre situation. Yes, yes. Um, but anyway, yeah. For that reason, I, I think. I mean, yeah, River, you know, ought to get past Wilstermann, but then Atletico mm-hmm. Mineiro ought to have got past Wilstermann as well. Um, I think it's a very real banana skin, particularly mm-hmm. if River can't sort of adjust to, as I say, having to to. Reorganise their strike force at fairly short notice. Um, yes, from from Alario and Juicy, now the the pair of strikers are Santos Borre, the Colombian, mm. that came uh, from Villarreal in Spain. From Atletico uh, Madrid. No, he was playing for Atletico for for Villarreal as a loan on, on loan. Ah, right, okay. He he's um, he he belonged to, belonged belonged to uh, Atletico Madrid, but was playing for Villarreal. Okay. Cool. Uh, and Escoco, uh, Escoco and Santos Borres now the pair of strikers yeah. forever. Started well, they, they both scored in the Copa Argentina win over um, Instituto, yes. didn't they? Um, but we shall see. Uh, San Lorenzo Lanús, any indicators of how that one might go? I think yeah. that's a really interesting tie. Both started the season pretty poorly. Like Lanús were really bad against Tacheres, mm. and San Lorenzo were all only okay against uh, Racing. So, a draw? Space, can't even then. say a draw, because yeah. it can't finish in a draw. We'll see. We'll see. Yes. Uh, the Copa Sudamericana, meanwhile, is a stage uh, not as far on. If that makes the sense. last we're, we're 32, I believe. Eighths of final, the last 16. Last 16. Um, right. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the previous scores. Let's just do the fixtures. The fixtures, uh, in fact, we've already had a, a few first legs. 
um, in we? the last 16. Atletico Tucumán have beaten oh, Independiente 1-0 on the 22nd of August, apparently. Nacional of Paraguay have beaten Estudiantes of Argentina 1-0. Libertad of Paraguay have beaten Independiente Santa Fe of Colombia 1-0. Um, all at home. And then the other fixtures are Cerro Porteño against Junior, that's Paraguay against Colombia, Chapicoense um, against Flamengo, an old Brazilian side, Corinthians against Racing, which is next Wednesday, Dan. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. No. <laughs> Sport Recife against um, Ponte Preta, both Brazilian, Fluminense against Liga Deportiva Universitaria de Quito of Ecuador. So the we're guaranteed one Argentine side in the quarterfinals, of course, because Independiente playing Atletico Tucumán. It's a hell of a lineup for the Sudamericana, right? How it many ex Libertadores yeah, yeah. champions have you got? I've, I've really enjoyed the, the, the sort of early stage of the Sudamericana in particular. Mm. Um, but the, the other two Argentine clubs in there are Estudiantes, who, as we said, playing Nacional of Paraguay, and Racing, um, who at least have the home leg against Corinthians. What do we think the chances are of seeing three or two or three Argentine sides in the quarters? Just speaking for Racing, it's going to be a hell of a game, really. Uh, Corinthians are about what, 15 points, 12 points clear at the top of the, um, the Brazilian league. Uh-huh. They're looking extremely strong. Uh, Racing have only just started started the season. Um, I would have liked that game to come a bit later, to be honest, in a couple of weeks. I mean, there's not much turnaround there, but, but you never know. Uh, we've got to go to Sao Paulo now. You get a decent result there, and then you get taken back to Arashanida, thinking if it's on the 20th, I'll be able to go because I'm not working. So I'll be looking to, um, to take out a couple of Brazilian players with cigarette lighters from corners. And maybe that will help turn the, turn the course of the tie. Let's see. We'll, we've all got to do a part. Indeed. Estudiantes against Nacional. Bit of a mountain to climb. Well, not a mountain, but... Uh, no, nah, they should get being one nil down. They should get past that, I think. And then Independiente Atlético Tucumán is going to be a stonker, I reckon. Oh, they're two teams that play pretty decent football. Yeah, I reckon Independiente are going to come back from that one. But given that I have not seen any Argentine <laughs> football so far this season, I they both look decent on the first day of the season. So again, hard to say. Absolutely. Um, Oh, we have a few, a couple more questions. Let's just make sure that we've answered everyone's questions. Uh, Liam Kelly says, "Welcome back." Early predictions for champions and relegation. For champions, it's very hard to look past Boca. I think to retain their title, they've brought in some very decent players in this break. Edwin Cardona, Nandez, the the young Uruguayan who I thought that had a really good game against. Against Argentina, I didn't see their game against Paraguay or if he played or not. But no, I don't think he played actually. But against Argentina, at least he was he was very good, very combative midfielder who should um, who should be there for a while for Uruguay. I think he's only what twenty years old. Yeah, so he's, he's young. I'd say yeah, probably an upgrade on on Ben Dangur, mm. if we're and, if we're brutally honest. Perhaps crucially as well, Boca hung on to Benedetto. They've hung on to Benedetto. River couldn't do. They've hung on to Babon as well, which is essentially yeah. their equivalent of uh, Drusi and and yeah. Lario, right? The thing is, Boca just been bolstered so much by um, by the Tevez money that they've been able to keep going. They yeah. also sold. They also sold a few players, didn't they? Uh, well, they sold Bintagor, who got probably much more money than than he should have. And I can't remember if anyone else left Boca. Any first team players? That must have done. A couple of lines, I think. Maybe. I don't know if Peru. No, Peruzzi's still there. Silva, I don't know if he's gone back to wherever he was. I don't know. And they brought in uh, Goltz, the, the defender. And Espinosa from Huracan. And Espinosa was a. No, from Huracan, but he. From yeah, yeah. This, of course, means that the Boca won't win the league because. Almost certainly, yeah. but you know, we've got to try. Um, they're they're going to be our tip, I think, for the title. Yeah, so um, for relegation. For relegation. Marcinal start deep in the shit. Yeah. Uh, Begrano as well. I'll write down there, I think. I'm actually going to just bring up the Promedios now. Cause I think relegation's a lot easier to do because you know that some teams are pretty fucked even before the season starts. Precisely. Which How is many are going down this season? Is it four and Four and two, I think, again. Uh, I'm going to 
Arsenal and Tempele are both down there. Urekan are going to find it tricky. Olimpo. But Urekan are going to have one job out of So that'll help him. Oh, he's rejoined, does he? He moved to Boca. And then Boca decided to loan him out straight away. And they also did it with another player. I can't remember who. Another decent player. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, Old he's doing, well, doing right by his, his favourite club. If we're going to pick a team who aren't currently sort of in the immediate struggle, I think that Venice are going to be in trouble mm. again this season. And as you mentioned already, Dan, uh, Belgrano, who, who were dreadful yeah. last season. Venice started very brightly. Um against oh, yeah, they play against Tigre away the thing with Betvillers is they've got a team that's very very young yeah. so I think something like 27 of their f- of their squad are, yeah. are from the youth well, team we'll have to see whether they even if they can sustain that, it yeah, that level certainly because yes. someone once said you can't win anything with kids Indeed. and I don't know but I don't know if you can get relegated with kids as well Absolutely. That wasn't covered. Uh, Razvan Bruno Ifrim asks, would anything change in respect to broadcasting Primera games? We've gone over the um, differences in domestic broadcasting already. <laughs> um, we've mentioned this new UK channel, but otherwise, no, not really. Um, internationally, the rights are, are still owned by Teise. We've had a question by email from Lee Bartlett, who asks, any updates on the completion of Estudiantes rebuilt ground and San Lorenzo returning to Boedo? Uh, the former's closer than the latter, I think. Yes. <laughs> That's fair to say. Estudiantes are still constructing their ground. San Lorenzo are still buying them. The land Start of 2018, and, uh, right? I think. For mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, the country after two unconvincing results for Argentina? Can see them finishing fifth at best playoff versus New Zealand. Oof. Well, if they beat Peru, then they leapfrog Peru. Um, I can still see how Argentina can qualify from you know, automatically, but yeah. yeah, I think the playoffs are most likely. And the mood in the country is, well, it's Argentina, isn't it? So the mood doesn't really change depending on football ties. I know that that's, you're not supposed to say that as a football <laughs> writer. Yeah, we have to pretend that this is all people care about. If they don't make the World Cup, then we'll talk. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. the people here in Argentina are very changing in, the, in their opinions. And one day they can be happy and then the other day sad or angry. And the other day, the other day they can be uh, very good at, at, at someone and uh, now they are saying that the Argentine players should imitate Del Potro for example they want, they, and uh, two days ago Del Potro was, had his chest frozen uh, yeah. because he would defeat Federer and now he's hero who, who was it who said that? it was one of the former players or managers or something wasn't it? whom? the Del Potro thing somebody put that on Twitter it was one of the some former Argentina international um, but I no, can't remember no. who now no. um, Liam Delaney finally asks anyone know where Eric Lamela is buried hmm. <laughs> has he been done away with I don't know I would assume that Liam's referring to the national team uh, in which case yes call him up why not he's still injured isn't he is he yes. yeah there we go then. The, the, the other thing well it was some months ago it was that his uh, grandmother had died and he was very very sad and uh, after that he also injured and the combination of those things yeah he's still got a couple months out I think right so so he's not going to be back for the last two games either I doubt it here we go then with next Mystic Sam's Mm. predictions having seen no football whatsoever for a couple of months it's going to be more Mystic than ever of what's going to happen in the weekend to come starting in Almost exactly 24 hours time, in fact. Due to the Libertadores matches and Sudamericana matches next week, what we do know is that a few teams, Lanús, seemingly River, because we've got the television on at the moment on mute, um, are planning to play with reserve sides this weekend, so that might or might not affect my predictions, depending on whether I can remember who exactly is involved in the Continental Cup still. Arsenal, this R&D, kick the weekend off at home to Colón. I think that's going to be a Colón win. Vélez against Atletico Tucumán. Um, I'll go for a draw, given that Atletico um, are in the... Oh, they've already played in fact, haven't they? So let's go for an Atletico win. Olimpo against Independiente on... Friday night, late Friday night, um, I'll go for an Independiente win in Bahia Blanca. 
On Saturday, the game started 2 p.m. Belgrano against San Martin de San Juan. I think it's a San Martin victory. I think that um, defensa, didn't defensa play Gimnasia last weekend? So they're, yes. they're playing the two La Plata sides back to back to start the season. Um, I think that that will be an Estudiantes victory. Um, for the home side, Patronato against Argentinos Juniors is going to be a draw. I've just realised I've not been noting all of these predictions down. What did I go for? Yeah. What did I say? I said Colón to beat Arsenal. Colón to beat Arsenal. Willis to draw. Did I? Yes. I think I said Atletico. I'll have to realise if they've already played. Uh, we'll go for Atletico now. I'll leave uh, Independiente to beat Olimpo. We're going for San Martin. We're going for all the way wins so far. Estudiantes <laughs> to beat Defensive this year. Uh, Argentinos against Patronato. Patronato against Argentinos is a draw. Racing against Tempele. I'm going to go for a Racing victory there, Dan. Congratulations. Chacarita against Tigre at 11 o'clock in the morning or something. Probably the only way they can stop a riot breaking out in San Martin. Let's go for, uh, go for a Chacarita win to welcome them back to the top flight. Um, Godoy Cruz against Tacheres, I think, is an away victory. Rosario Central against a San Lorenzo Ooh. side who might really well be fielding subs. I'm going to go for a Central win. River at home to Banfield. I'll go for a draw. Uh, Lanús at home to Boca Juniors. I'll go for a Boca win there. Union against Gimnasia La Plata on Monday is going to be a Gimnasia win. And Huracan against Newell's Old Boys is a draw. Lots go. of away wins to, to expect then. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have gone for a few, haven't I? But there are going to be one or two during the weekend, so yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed there'll be one or two of the ones that I predicted. Um, that's your lot for this week, ladies and gents. We'll be back to normal last uh, next week. We realise that this week's episode has been a bit all over the place. That's um, you know because of circumstances, basically. But because of Argentina, right? We wanted to follow in their footsteps. Precisely, yeah. title disorganisation. Kind of debut. So it's okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and it wasn't uh, ahead of the season, so we didn't have the mm. time to sort of give ourselves a decent run-up and um, and get going properly. At least we didn't drink any Fernet. It could have been even worse. Eh? It might well have been, yeah. We'll, we'll hopefully be back on the Fernet next week, uh, recording at a more sensible hour, like starting about now. Um, but for now, thank you very much for joining us for another week. And thank you for joining me this week, gentlemen, from English Down. Thank you. It's a pleasure. From Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. And from me, thank you. Goodbye.